your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle set to the top of the pattern. Now Spielman in motion to the near side. Rolling right is McCaffrey. Throws it toward the end zone. Wide open is Noah. Makes a catch. And it is a touchdown. Nebraska. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Well, as Austin was going through the ticker, I was thinking, well, two days from now, we're going to have the NFL schedule ready to pop out. It comes out Thursday night, the NFL releasing their schedule. That's going to be exciting to see when the teams match up with each other. Who will the Kansas City Chiefs open with? They've got to open at home, right? I mean, they have to be the home team to put the banner up that night at Arrowhead. I'm assuming it's going to be a night game. I mean, you can't have the defending Super Bowl champs open on the road, right? That, 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 that doesn't happen. Would it be the Baltimore Ravens? Actually, I think they have to go to Baltimore. I think they play Baltimore, but it's in Baltimore. So, so I, I could see that, but you don't let them. You don't make them play on the road, do you? I mean, New England would be the obvious choice, but I mean, what's left? What's left for them? How about Houston? Yeah. Could be Houston. I saw a Houston fan site the other. You know the Chiefs have adopted the nickname the Legion of Zoom with their speed. That, that, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people that started calling them that that last year. There was a fan site in Houston that posted Legion of Zoom with all of Houston guys. Like like they had made it up, <laughs> not knowing that that's the real Legion of Zoom is the one that is holding the Lombardi trophy. That that's been taken. Yeah. Uh, coming up this hour, Mike Babcock, one of our favorites from Hale Varsity, is going to come along. We're going to our game, greatest game on Friday night is going to be the 1978 Nebraska Oklahoma game in Lincoln. First win for Tom Osborne over the Sooners. OU came in ranked number one. A lot of memories to that game, and we're going to talk to Mike Babcock about that, among other things, coming up a little bit later on in the hour. But let's start with some Husker basketball news, and this isn't the news we were hoping to bring you tonight, Ben, and that's. The big fella from New York, Adam Sanago, a four-star center uh, who has reclassified. He's actually supposed to only be senior in the fall, but he's reclassified up a year. He's able to graduate high school. Nebraska thought they had this guy. And then today he announced he's committing to Connecticut to play for the Huskies. This is a blow because talking to some of the coaches over recent weeks and even months, they felt like they were in really good shape with this kid, and this would have been a nice additional on the front court for Nebraska. So this is that's a blow for the Huskers, isn't it? Yeah, there's no doubt, especially considering you know what Nebraska needs on the floor. Um, I think he fits the bill perfectly. Um, you know, contrary to to some believing the fact that winning without a big man is easier in college basketball now, and it's possible to do now as opposed to to years past. I would I would refute that. Pretty, pretty significantly based on what we've seen in the past with how Nebraska was undersized. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it ideal? No. And and the, a lot of those teams that, that are capable of winning without a big guy are elite in other areas. Um, you know, and they, they've, they run a system in which uh, allow them to score in space while at the same time have the amount of scores and the level of scores at multiple positions to where you can get by without a big guy. 
Nebraska's not at that level, and and they need they need a solid five rotational player or or all five positions. Uh, even if Fred Hoiberg wants to spread the floor, get guys in space, and you know that type of thing, you, you still have to have matchups that are favorable to your team on a nightly basis, where your opponents can't just pull up your film and go, "Okay, this is what we're doing." Um, I, I I don't think that that is uh, a good situation to be in. This guy you felt like could have come in and and added some depth at that five spot, and you know, given Nebraska another body down there to where they're not mismatched every time out the floor. So it's unfortunate that it had to happen this way, especially because, as you said, the Nebraska coaches really felt like this was a guy that needed to be on our roster and they felt like was going to be on Nebraska's roster. Um, but instead, a, a swift turn of events, um, you know, in a, in a program in Connecticut who, uh, you know, Kenya Hunter's very familiar with this, with the, with these parts at Nebraska and, and the Big Ten Conference, so we we all know how good of a recruiter Kenya is, as, as it is. But you know, especially against a, a school like Nebraska, where he's been and he knows, you know, what messages will resonate with kids both for and against a place like Lincoln. Um, you you know that uh, that you know a place like UConn could benefit from a big guy. Uh, we've seen multiple big guys be successful at that school. So a swift turn of events, uh, as we said, and a good get for UConn and Nebraska's right back to the drawing board and, and on to the next guy on their list when they felt like they had a slam dunk. Yeah. Put a lot of effort into it. I know they just, they put an awful lot into this young guy, a lot of trips back there to see him worked all the angles, felt like they had him, but Hey, UConn's a hard one to beat. If you're in Nebraska in this deal, they got a lot of tradition. They've got national championship banners hanging up in their facility. And they're about an hour and a half from New York City. So this kid's basically staying at home to play for the Huskies. So it was an uphill battle. And yet Nebraska felt like they'd done a lot and done enough to get him to come. So I know disappointment in the basketball office today. They still have the one open scholarship for next season. And I know they would like for it to be a big body just to add some depth up front. So the search continues for Fred Hoiberg and the staff on that. Also today, Ben, uh, the Notre Dame athletic director, Jack Swarbrick, uh, had a press conference today. And Notre Dame is is certainly a unique and individual part of college football with them clinging to their independence, not wanting to be a member of a football conference. They do have an arrangement with the ACC where they play five games a year against ACC teams, and then their other sports are a member of the ACC conference. But they could certainly get affected this fall if the Power Five conferences say, you know, we're only going to play conference games, we're going to shorten the season. It could certainly affect Notre Dame. So it was interesting to hear Jack Swarbrick talk about this today. And he, he says, quote, we're very comfortable that if, if it if – it goes that way, we're going to be fine. We'll be able to play a high-quality, full schedule, the same number of games other teams play. He didn't say exactly how many games that full schedule will entail. Um, he is scheduled to play the five games against the ACC, two teams from the Pac-12, USC and Stanford. And I am I have my doubts whether the Pac-12 plays football this year. They have one Big Ten team, and it's Wisconsin. This is going to be a heck of a matchup with the Badgers at Lambeau Field in, in – um, 
Green Bay is where they're going to play the Badgers or set to play the Badgers. And they play one team out of the SEC in the Arkansas Razorbacks. And then they have some non-conference games against Navy, some of those teams that they they play on a traditional uh, basis. But he seems confident that even if the leagues go to an all-league schedule, they'll be able to piece it together. I don't know what he's thinking. He must have something in his back pocket or he wouldn't have made that that statement out there a little bit. But Notre Dame, because, Ben, here, this is one of the the dangers for them not being a part of a conference is in a situation like this, which is rare. I mean, we'll admit it's rare. They could get burned in this whole thing. But he seemed confident today when he talked with the reporters. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like Notre Dame maybe deserves to sweat a little bit. I kind of <laughs> feel like uh, – you know they've been playing high and mighty, and that they're they play by their own rules, and uh, you know they're too good for conferences for a while now. I think to me, I, I still go back to the TV money. I, I think they're out of valid excuses at this point uh, to not be in a conference. And I I don't know. I I part of me hopes they do get burned by it, and and it's the final straw for them, and they can finally you know be like every other Power Five school and. And have to deal with the conference schedule. I, I mean, it sounds pretty harsh to say, but we've been hearing stuff like this for Notre Dame, and you know the 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 hidden advantages that they have, right? They're right, like when t- TV before Big Ten Network and all these other deals, and you know SEC had the agreement with ESPN. Notre Dame had, you know, their own rights with NBC. So that was a huge coup for them in recruiting to have, um, have that in their back pocket to be able to play on NBC. And yet here we are with other schools catching up with TV networks, other schools catching up with TV money, TV revenue. Um, And I I don't know. Part of me kind of hopes that this thing uh, backfires on Notre Dame and, you know, someone forces their hand a little bit. Uh, I don't really know how this thing's going to end, period, for like last night we were talking about, you know, football moving on without a full conference if some states – you know, aren't, aren't allowing that. Uh, it would be interesting to see how that would affect a school like Notre Dame. And if, you know, some of the states that they've got teams lined up with are in, unable to play football, and then the ACC decides, you know what, we're not going to obey this little, this little agreement that we have with your, your five-game deal just to appease you, Notre Dame. Uh, it would be interesting to see what, what, what direction they would go. I think, you know, if we're just playing – hypotheticals here greg if it it was a situation where the acc pulled the plug as you said the pac-12 if they're not having football if you're taking all those avenues away this could be a scenario that is big enough for notre dame to reevaluate their independent status and and i really that's the reason why i hope this kind of blows up in their faces because i'd really like them to join a league and i think they'd be a great fit in the big 10 um you know let's do some reshuffling send rutgers back to a conference that, that they belong in and, and sub in Notre Dame. And I think that's a trade that every team in the Big Ten would, would welcome. Wow, you're cold-hearted tonight. You want Notre Dame to suffer, and you just expelled Rutgers out of the league. It's well, two th- <laughs> I would love I would love to to play Notre Dame in sports, and, Absolutely. and it's and I, and and they would they would be a huge a, a lot more beneficial to the Big Ten conference than the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Uh, the, the the television sets, whatever, the golden domes on those helmets outweigh that TV market yeah. in New York by a mile. You're so, right. you know, part part of it, yeah, I'm harsh on Notre Dame because I want them to come join our team. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. Think about how 
you talk about cutting down costs, how close Notre Dame is to so many Big Ten schools. I mean, they're just right around the lake for Northwestern. They're just 100 miles or so from West Lafayette. They're close to Indiana. They're about an hour drive to East Lansing, maybe two hours to Ann Arbor. I mean, right there, that's five schools in the Big Ten. They're within an hour and a half or so, so they make some sense. Yeah. A couple things. One, I misspoke. It's six ACC games, not five. And the other thing for Husker fans to keep an eye on, Ben, is that Notre Dame is supposed to open their season in Dublin, Ireland, playing Navy. It was the game... The year before, the Huskers are supposed to open up in 2021 against Illinois. So it'll be interesting to see that. Um, Notre Dame's AD did go on to talk about that he thinks that for the Olympic sports, the non-revenue sports, he said, I think we're going to have to shuffle those schedules a lot and make them so much more easier for travel purposes. That goes to my point about then they ought to be in the Big Ten. You want to yeah. have a cutting cost for traveling where you can bus your volleyball team and your soccer team to all these different campuses in the Big Ten and only have to fly two or three times. Yeah, and one more point on Notre Dame too, Greg. In a day and age where college rivalries are disappearing in front of our faces, if Notre Dame is introduced back into the Big Ten Conference, think about all those rivalries that are already brought back. Right, Notre Dame, Michigan, Notre Dame, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Purdue, Notre Dame, Indiana. There's four rivalry games right there that are back into the Big Ten Conference. And and think about all those nostalgia for folks in their 60s and their 70s who grew up like Rudy's family, watching Indiana, Purdue, watching um, Purdue versus Notre Dame, watching the Fighting Irish play some of those in-state teams. I think that would just be so awesome to have them in our league and and you know the 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 amount of benefits that they have in bringing um you know the big 10 some positive publicity compared to a team like rutgers is off the charts so part of me hopes this thing blows up uh in their face a little bit and they reevaluate things because this idea that you know they don't need to be involved in a conference i think it's gone on too long uh and i'm ready for a change i'm ready for them to 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 hop on over and who knows, Greg, maybe with this COVID thing and this this virus going on, the NCAA is reevaluating conferences, period. I mean, who knows how steep these conversations gone about travel, you know, wanted to limit the planes and get on more buses. Who knows how, the extent to which thing, this thing is going? Swarbick said, quote, he thinks scheduling is likely to change significantly for the Olympic sports. So there you go. Yeah. And you know these conference commissioners are talking. As Bill Moose said, the ADs in the league are talking pretty much on a regular basis. You know these conference commissioners are talking all the time because the decision on football is in their hands. There's no NCA overseer for college football. It's in the hands of the Power Five conference commissioners. Time to talk to one of our favorites, Mike Babcock of Hale Varsity, joins us now. Mike, how are you? I hope you're doing okay during these crazy times we're living through right now. They are crazy, Greg. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing all right. I, but uh, sounds like Rutgers isn't doing too well. Got dismissed from the Big Ten earlier yeah. on the show. Huh? How about that? Yeah, actually, yeah. I think yeah. I think Ben would have some company if that was a, if that was up for a vote. I think that might pass. I'd um, sign his petition. <laughs> I know a lot of people around the conference would too. Uh, Mike, we had Will Bolt on last night, and I, I said to him, I go, one of the the things that's got to just be killing you is that we've had a really nice spring. Weather-wise, how many how many days have you looked outside and said, "Man, I wish I was at Haymarket Park right now"? Yeah, well, a few, and I and I've uh, I keep looking at the schedule to see 
I tell Barb, you know, hey, well, I would be at the ballpark uh, today if it weren't for this situation. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been a generous uh, spring from that standpoint. We only saw him coach 15 games uh, before this all got shut down. But what have you? What did you view from Will and those few home games we had, and how he's managed the program so far? Well, you know, I, I really like uh, something something as simple maybe as coming in and demanding that guys be at breakfast by a certain time. You know, the the, the little things add up to the big things, and and uh, I always felt like as a player, uh, Will Bolt was just this really intense, competitive guy, and I think that that's what he brings as a coach. I think that that's what he instills in his players. And uh, that's what I expected out of this season. So, um, uh, you know, and, may, and maybe you see what you expect, but that's my, that was my expectation when he was hired, and, and uh, that's what I felt like uh, since I got, uh, you know, as the season had begun. I, I really think it was important, or I thought it was important, to, to get this first season under his belt, and, and uh, you know, we'd see where the program went from there. But you have to instill that kind of culture and, and uh, I think he did. He indicated last night I asked him about the NCAA allowing the seniors a chance to come back. They had six, not a huge number, but six. He said as of now he thinks five of the six are going to come back, and he, he's glad to have them, the one being Ben Klinke, who has graduated and is ready to kind of move on with life, but that the other five would come back. Seems to me like it's going to create a bit of a jam log filling out your lineup card every week, but he, he's glad for that opportunity. What would you make of the NCAA's decision there? Well, I thought it was a good thing, you know, uh, for the student athlete, but it does create a situation that you've, you know, as you observe, uh, maybe the conference could make some concessions on the, the size of the roster so you don't have to start cutting guys uh, quite to the degree that you would otherwise. Um, just to give those uh, student athletes opportunity to compete in uh, what would have been their senior season. So, you know, I was I was in favor of it. Uh, like a lot of things, I guess I don't look at all the implications of it. But that's one thing I thought of was the size of the roster. You know, how's that going to impact uh, the guys that you had recruited and who you had coming back? And then now you add in this case five guys. Um, is there some way that uh, the Big Ten could be a little more generous in allowing the, the rosters to be a little bigger? Yeah, no doubt. Mike Babcock's with us from Hale Varsity. Mike, we've been playing back old football games on Friday nights. I think people have really gotten a kick out of it. I, I certainly had not heard the game of the century from Lyle, so that was a blast <laughs> for me to hear that. We had the 88 Nebraska-Oklahoma State game where Barry Sanders had a big day, but Ken Clark had a bigger day. This Friday, we're going to 1978. Nebraska hosting number one Oklahoma. Um, I know you were around the program at that time. That Oklahoma was a big thorn in Tom Osborne's side up until that year, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that uh, Tom's teams had lost the, the first five games to that point to Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, there was some frustration on the part of the fans, obviously, because Nebraska was pretty much successful with everybody, except Missouri was another one. Nebraska mm-hmm. lost three of its first five games uh, to Nebraska or to uh, Missouri at that point. And uh, but you know, Oklahoma was the rival. Oklahoma was the team that you had to beat, and and Tom hadn't beaten them, and and really uh, that had some 
influence, I believe, on him looking at that Colorado job in 1978 and really uh, getting to the point where he went out there and uh, met with the players or whatever. So, yeah, that was a, it was a big deal. Uh, and for me it was a big deal because that was the first year I was at the Journal and Star. Um, and I had grown up with the Nebraska-Oklahoma series. Uh, so that was a, that, that was the game probably of, of any game I remember, um, exclusive of, you know, Nebraska winning national championships and having been at those um, of any uh, regular season games, certainly. That's the one that still sticks out in my mind after – after uh, 42 seasons of covering uh, Nebraska football as a 78 Oklahoma game, because it was the first Nebraska Oklahoma game that I that I was at as a as a newspaper person, and uh, that was a big deal. I went back and looked at that season. Huskers opened that year at Alabama, got beat, but then ran the table up until the Oklahoma game, and the Sooners were number one. They had a long winning streak. They had a guy named Billy Sims that was a heck of a running back. But was the story of the day the Nebraska defense and the, the forcing all the fumbles, is that what you remember? Yeah, I remember that. Um, uh, nine fumbles. Nebraska recovered six. Uh, the last one, uh, Jim Pillen, I think, was credited with recovering uh, Billy Sims' fumble uh, at the Husker three-yard line. Uh, Jeff Hansen, I think, the safety, uh, was credited with the tackle. I've got a picture up in my office of the – of the Huskers jumping up uh, in celebration after uh, after the recovery, and uh, yeah, the defense really stepped up in that game. You know, Oklahoma, as was typical at that time, running that wishbone offense, uh, threw two passes in that game. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, you know, that's something you don't forget either. Oh, uh, for two passing, and uh, rushed for over 300 yards, but uh, nine fumbles. It was a cold day. I remember that. It was even a little cold sitting in the press box. Um, but, uh, yeah, very aggressive. Uh, actually, uh, 10 fumbles, but uh, John Rood hit uh, Kelly Phelps on a kickoff uh, after uh, Billy Todd kicked the what was the game-winning field goal. And uh, the ball came loose, and everybody, uh, I think Oklahoma probably would have even acknowledged it, but the officials uh, said that it was a fumble. Um, so uh, that could have changed things too a little bit of momentum there early in the fourth quarter but um, yeah fumbles were a big thing that defense really stepped up uh, had to because Oklahoma was uh, ranked number one going into the end of the game and you know Nebraska had worked its way back up from that Alabama loss uh, Nebraska was number four uh, beat Oklahoma and put itself in position to where uh after it found out, uh, I think on the Monday after that game, the Big Eight said regardless of what happened in the final week, Nebraska would be the uh, Big Eight uh, representative in the Orange Bowl. That turned into kind of an unusual situation. But uh, Nebraska was really looking at a situation where it could have played Penn State in the Orange Bowl for the national championship. And uh, so there was a lot uh, – uh, riding on the Missouri game the next week, but uh, you know, for for the time being, that Oklahoma thing there was a it was a great celebration because uh, Tom, one of his teams, had finally beaten Oklahoma, and and uh, you know, I think in bootlegger uh, bootlegger's boys uh, bootlegger's boy uh, Barry Switzer's book, I think he he called the '78 uh, team 
possibly as, as good as any that he had coached. Well, it was Tom's first win. You mentioned Missouri being a thorn, too. The next week they beat Nebraska. So the Huskers, seven days later, lose. And then, to add salt to the wound, Oklahoma gets paired up with Nebraska in the Orange Bowl, which I think probably made Coach Osborne half sick, I would imagine, to have to go play those guys again. Oh, he looked like he'd been hit by a baseball bat when they – yeah, it – uh, and, and the thing with the Missouri game was that uh, I think early in the maybe the first possession, maybe the first play, I don't remember for sure, but uh, Rick Burns went like 89 yards for a touchdown uh, right off the bat. And it was like, oh, boy, you know, Nebraska's finally going to beat uh, Missouri and Lincoln. Uh, the two previous times that Missouri had come to Lincoln under, under when Tom was a coach, uh, Missouri had won. And, uh, well, it looked like things were going to go Nebraska's way with a quick start. And then James Wilder went wild and scored (laughs) four touchdowns. And uh, Phil Bradley was uh, the quarterback then. And uh, 35-31. So that was frustrating. And then on top of that, you find out you're going to play Oklahoma in a rematch. You know what? You don't see too many times where a bowl game where there's a rematch. And, probably uh, count them on uh, you probably count them on one hand, Mike, when yeah. you see that happen. Yeah, and you uh you gotta play Oklahoma again after you had just beaten uh not top ranked Oklahoma. Uh yeah, that was a that was really a frustrating uh situation for Nebraska um after it had accomplished something and then you you know had frustration on top of that to the to the Missouri loss and it was a tough way to finish seventy eight, but uh uh, didn't diminish for me that '78 Oklahoma game. You know what a what a great uh, atmosphere and and uh, what a great effort on the part of Nebraska against a, a really good Oklahoma team. Well, I can't wait to relive that Friday night and hear Lyle's call of that one on on Friday night here on Sports Night. Well, what what are you doing to keep busy, Mike? What's what's uh, what's got you getting up and getting excited every day right now? Well, we do uh, we do some stuff online for Hale Varsity. I don't do a whole lot of online stuff, but uh, uh, I just did a series of uh, a dozen stories on what we kind of called the golden days of uh, Nebraska baseball. Kind of carried through the uh, uh, the end of that uh, three times in the College World Series run. Did a series of stories there, and then we've picked up the uh, Tom's Time series, which. We're up to 1992 now, um, and uh, and then we're also working on the uh, uh, Hale Varsity yearbook. And uh, I had a I worked I've uh, been working on a story on uh, uh, Nebraska, uh, you know, the during World War II, um, sort of the sanctions of the program, what the program went through. Actually, only only missed. Uh, had one game canceled because of travel restrictions. Uh, Pittsburgh came, was supposed to come here, and uh, they canceled that game. But um, yeah, I've been keeping sort of busy, but uh, not as busy as as I'd like. But you know, I I can't complain. I, I it, it's really uh, uh, tough to see all the people that are that are out of work and and uh, oh gosh, the people that are infected by this virus and. That's that's the thing that just almost uh, paralyzes you sometimes um, when you when you think about that stuff. It's heartbreaking. When when can we expect to see the yearbook? Do you have a kind of a completion date? Well, we're supposed to 
go to the printer in mid-June, um, uh, which will give us some time yet to get some idea of when the season's gonna gonna be played. You know, that's the thing. I'm 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 hope that that's gonna happen. You know, um, that's one of the things that that's an unknown now. Uh, whether or at least when that season is going to be played, and uh, we've approached it that way. But you know, I think we, I would think we probably have some flexibility there. But that's the plan: is uh, mid June for the for the yearbook. Very good, Mike. Always fun to catch up. Thank you so much. Be safe and look forward to seeing you at some press conferences. Hopefully here soon. You and the fans be safe as well. Great, great, great talking to you. We think him up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Top 10 Tuesdays brought to you by Union Bank and Trust. At Union Bank and Trust, all your banking needs are taken care of by real people who really care. Stop by and you'll see that you belong here. Union Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Well, I thought we would talk about Top 10 sports commercials of all time, guys. And obviously you saw a couple of big campaigns that Michael Jordan has been involved with the last few weeks on The Last Dance. In fact, he made my list uh, on here. Um, this one was fun for me. Did you guys enjoy putting this one together? Yeah, to me, this was a nice mix of of what I remember and uh, comedy and then just the all-time classics. So, yeah, there was a, there was a few different... Uh, approaches I had to this and believe it or not a lot of a lot of commercials on on my list were were ones that uh like five years or later I, I kind of thought it'd be dominated by you know athletes that that were around you know in the last few years um but unfortunately uh, I had a, a lot of ones that that were you know ones from my childhood or even beyond Austin do you enjoy this one Immensely. This was one of those times that work didn't really feel like work. I probably spent an hour and a half watching <laughs> all these commercials just to see what I remembered, see if I could quote them, find some new ones I hadn't seen, ones I hadn't seen in a while. Yeah, this was a blast. Very good. Why don't you lead us off? Oh, I'd love to. All right. So number one for me, or number, number 10. 10, sorry, yeah. start, at the, start at the back, work our Ooh, way up. Scared me. Man, I don't have 10 number ones. I have one 10, one at each number. So <laughs> number 10 for me. Uh, I had to sneak Peyton Manning on here somewhere, so I'll put him at number 10 with his MasterCard Cut That Meat commercial. He's just so earnest in that <laughs> one, just so charismatic. And the idea of flipping a superstar like Peyton Manning into that role as a fan of everyday people doing their jobs, I think it's just absolutely perfect. Peyton leans into it so far, does the, the whole left hand up, I'm not washing this hand thing, cut that yeah. meat, cut that. It's just yeah. perfect. It's my number 10. Well, and he's a cold, I mean, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. I, it was hard. It, I left Peyton off my list, but I, I could have had ten Peyton Manny commercials on here. Oh, easy. Uh, what's he Maybe say at my, the end? He's he says something like, "You're my favorite pharmacist," or "You're my favorite accountant." My favorite accountant, Tony. Yeah, you're, you're my, my favorite fantasy accountant. team. My favorite accountant, yeah. Tony. Come on. Yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I, I'm never gonna wash that hand. How about his SNL skit where he's out teaching kids oh, how to oh, play the football? United and he's one, just drilling kids you with suck. the football. <laughs> 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 Telling them they suck. Teaching them how to break in cars. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Get open. Get open. He's like in the pocket. <laughs> All right. My number 10 uh, wasn't alive for this one, but it's one of the most classic sports commercials ever made. And it's in the movie Miracle 
Uh, it's the Mean Joe Green. Have a Coke and smile. Uh, thanks, Mean Joe. Gets the gets the jersey from Mean Joe at the end. And there's even been spoofs of this, but there's been remakes of this. Um, just a, just an absolute iconic commercial, the Coca-Cola Mean Joe Green with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Classic. One of the classics right there. All right, my number 10. In the early 90s, Penny Hardaway was becoming a pretty big name in the NBA. And so they came up with a campaign where they had a little Penny, and it was like a little mm-hmm. tiny guy who would say all the incorrect things. He, mm-hmm. And it was Chris Rock. Chris Rock voiced that. So Chris Rock was a part of this campaign <laughs> with Penny Hardaway. So Chris, little Penny was the, the heavy. He was always the one saying the inappropriate things to people. They ran a whole campaign of that, so that makes my list at number 10. Moving on to number nine, this is a this is Sports Center one. Abby Wambach was the athlete that features in it. And I know we're not soccer aficionados, the three of us here. Uh, Brett's second producing tonight, so he might take some offense at this one. But it's the John Anderson I won't work for weeks one, where he gets bumped on the shoulder, collapses in a heap, mm-hmm. just wailing in a pile. <laughs> oh my ankle! <laughs> my family played that out for months after we saw that one for the first time. So I love That's that. That's amazing. One. Um, just a little, just a little side note. We've done a top ten way back. We did, we did a top ten just Sports Center commercials. Um, so I left all of those off my list just because uh, I think it was Nate, Josh, and myself that participated in that. So I abstained from uh, dipping back in that water because you could find ten of those because oh, they're, yeah. no they're so good. Yeah. Um, all right, my number nine. I'm a little surprised this one was was this low on my list. This was the first commercial I thought of when. Uh, when we decided this topic, and it's uh, one of a couple of this of this that I this company that I have on my on my list. It was the Gatorade commercial of Michael Jordan and Mia Hamm. The anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah. Uh, that that little uh, that little skit that they had, and they took turns doing doing different sporting events, and you know that of course was in the late '90s when uh, the United States Women's National Team. You mentioned Abby Wambach, but this was the Mia Hamm. Uh, led team that that won that World Cup and in, in the in the '99 season and MJ was just kind of winding down. So that Gatorade commercial for me uh, was the first one I thought of and brings back a lot of nostalgia. Who's she married to for a bonus point? Nomar Garcia Para. Well done. It's not John Hamm, believe it or not. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. That would have made some sense. You're right. All right, my number nine is a, a Nike commercial with Tiger Woods. And everybody has seen this one where he's bouncing the golf ball off of his club and then mm-hmm. he bounces it really high up in the air and he whacks it down the field. And you know every golfer has gone out and tried to replicate that move by Tiger Woods. That was so cool when you saw him do that. And I guarantee you driving ranges were driven crazy for the next year going, quit doing that. You're knocking balls and hitting people and stuff. Quit, stop trying to emulate Tiger. I've still, I still try and do that every now and again on the tee box. <laughs> Just bounce it up on the wedge and... Um, you know, you, you look impressive doing it. You look really stupid when you can't do it. <laughs> when you whiff it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Number eight for me. I'm curious to see if this one is on your guys' list. If I have it too low, if I have it about right. This is where I've got Bo Nose. You know, it had to be on here somewhere. I actually saw the full thing in its entirety for the first time doing my research today. And I wonder just how big Bo Jackson's brand would have become had he been able to play two sports for 10, 15 years. You know, would he be on the same stratosphere as Michael Jordan with his own shoe, that sort of business? What would Bo Jackson have been? Well, he was two sports. So, I mean, he was, his, he, he was 
the lifespan of his season was almost year-round. My favorite part of that commercial, Austin, is when Wayne Gretzky skates up and goes, no, yeah. <laughs> he can't do this. Yeah. The, the marketability for a guy like Bo Jackson at, at his peak uh, was, was just insane. Um, all right, what are we on here? Number eight. My number eight, Austin, this one will, this one will ring, uh, ring well to you and, and Greg as well. I've got the Jim Mora playoffs Coors Light commercial here. More playoffs. Where they, they, playoffs. They, pulled, they pulled the uh, infamous uh, press conference, and then you've got the guys that are asking stupid questions about their weekend <laughs> with the wives, and uh, the, just the retorts are hilarious. So you've got the old-fashioned interview with, like, the new camera facing the, uh, the media, which happens to be these four or five just average Joes talking about a regular weekend. <laughs> Uh, talking back and talking back and forth with Coach Mora, so uh, another iconic one that my number eight. I think they did something similar with Mike Ditka, the same kind. Yeah, of they a did deal with a press conference. My eight's been mentioned. Here's my cut the meat that Austin had earlier with Peyton Manning, so I've got it at eight. Moving on to number seven, this is where I've got be like Mike. We saw this one a little bit on the last dance. One of those phrases that is just endured. You know, you want to be like Mike and. Gosh darn it, that song is catchy. It's been stuck in my head all day. I don't like it, but darn it if I don't want to be like Mike anyways. <laughs> yeah. um, my number seven, and he's made my list three times, and he inspired this list for sure. I've got MJ's, but this is the Mars Blackman, got to be the shoes. That was the saying too. You know, the Spike Lee and his whole little spiel, and, you know, and, and it highlighted this in the documentary, but it was impossible for me to leave this one off because that and they talk about this too in the show that that helped cross michael into the cultural scene um and became way more than just a basketball player how young he looks in that commercial and spike yeah. lee got to be the shoes it's got to be the shoes you st- we heard that all the time you know anytime anybody got new shoes playing basketball um uh, you know from the third grade until high school it's got to be the shoes all from that commercial <laughs> that that mj had with spike lee I'm with you. I've got Mars Blackman at, at seven for me as well. And, the, you know, the funny, Spike Lee's a huge Knicks fan. Yeah. He doesn't like the Bulls. He hated the Bulls. And here he does a huge campaign with, with Jordan. And you're right. I mean, it took him into the entertainment industry. It, it merged the NBA with Hollywood. And so he, he crossed that line, and it just made the thing explode. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I've got Mars Blackman at seven. I love the disclaimer at the end where it says, Mr. Jordan's views do not reflect that of Nike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love that. I stick with Michael here at my number six. This is where I've got Larry Bird and Michael Jordan playing horse. They can't help but one-up each other, throwing in all these crazy shots from all these crazy angles. And I still see people try and replicate it today with all the setups in their kitchen of the pots and pans and lids and all that (laughs) stuff. It's basically the same thing, but with two of the best basketball players of all time. Love it. Austin, I I align with you on my six. And the the funniest part of that whole commercial is the first line, no dunking. (laughs) Larry Larry points at Michael, and they're trying all the trick shots. And Larry's infamous shoot from behind the backboard that we've all done a million times in our driveways. That's a good one. I sent Ben and Nate a tweet earlier today reminding people that there was a game that Larry Bird played in against Portland where he said, I'm going to go shoot left-handed this entire game. I'm saving my right hand for the Lakers who we play in a day or two. And he goes out and puts up 40 points shooting left-handed. Triple double. <laughs> That's how good Larry Bird was at that point in time. My six, I because I, I wasn't part of the top ten list for ESPN, I do have an ESPN 
spot here. And this is the Arnold Palmer one mm, where yeah. SVP is following him into the cafeteria and Arnold makes himself an Arnold Palmer. And <laughs> SVP's just like, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are so many good ones. Just for the record, uh, since I don't have any of those commercials on my top ten, my all-time favorite uh, Sports Center commercial is – uh, well, there's two of them that jump out. The Peyton and Eli Manning with Archie. <laughs> yeah, they're kicking the other. tour, and they're yeah. kicking each other, and <laughs> they're pointing at each other when Archie turns around. There's that one. And then the Dwayne Wade one when they're in the highlight room, and they're like, uh, D. Wade, we're going to need that highlight. He's like, when it's finished. And he's like, there's the 30 seconds. When it's finished. <laughs> and then, and then he's, like, he's like, think you could add any, any spins? So they're watching his highlight, and they're like add, trying to add stuff to it. <laughs> oh. All right, we're on to the top five. So I go with Aaron Rodgers and the Discount Double Check series at my number yeah. five. This is a series yeah. you just have to tie back to Aaron Rodgers and only Aaron Rodgers. Credit State Farm for what they did, taking a celebration, making it this thing. My brother's a big Packers fan. That's how he would celebrate doing something cool around the house. Just all the different situations they put Rodgers in, the shirtless cheese head, the Bears fans on the plane, all of them. It's just a great series. And he's not a real personable guy, right? Can we no. agree to that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Think about, think about how he like how that defined him. Like even in all the 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 cameos that he has in TV shows, they're always doing the discount double check with the little the little arm thing. And um, yeah, I mean, and it definitely didn't help Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't know reputation as social reputation. I guess is the best way to put it when. He and David Bakhtiari are at a, that basketball game, and Bakhtiari slams that beer in like 1.7 seconds, and Rodgers gets through like a, a quarter of his before he puts it, before he puts it down. That did not help his uh, no. his social reputation either. No. All right, my top five. This is the second appearance I have for Gatorade, and it's the winning Formula One. And this is another one of the. Um, first commercials i thought of it's a really cool way that gatorade did it they thought of and mj is a part of this one too but so many of the iconic plays from that two or three year stretch right you had the jeter flip you had the mj shot against the cavaliers Uh, there was like four or five plays that they had and it all shows what would have happened had they not had gatorade right jordan shot rims out jeter flips the ball over the catcher Um, but then they kind of fast forward to them you know drinking gatorade and then making the plays again a uh, really cool way to uh, to endorse your product. Yeah, very good. My number five has been mentioned. Here's where I've got the Bo Nose campaign. I, I covered Bo Jackson. I, I was in that Royals locker room a lot when he played for the Royals, so that was right in my era, and he was an incredible athlete. Maybe I, it's hard to say he's not the best athlete I've ever covered. I mean, to be able to play at such a high level in both the NFL and MLB, uh, that's just crazy. Still the one thing I wish about Bo Jackson is that he could run – a 40-yard dash with today's technology to see what he would have run. Man, with that size. Mm. All right, so I know last week on Sports Night we had some controversy, so I want to get out ahead of this. I am not endorsing beer sales at Memorial Stadium with this pick. (laughs) Just want to get out ahead of that. So number four for me is the Bud Bowl. Back in the 1980s, that whole, especially the first series, I think it's just really clever. You know, they're advertising their whole – set of products with bud and bud light the execution was good and i'm a sucker for wordplay so you know the cans are going wild and a brouhaha down on the field i thought it was really well done by budweiser yeah nice uh, my number four has been mentioned by both of you um i've got uh, the bow nose here at number four i mean the saying still sticks today bow nose you know exactly what you're talking about and 
seeing him play all those different again it was brilliant it was brilliant marketing by nike putting him in all those different uniforms and in all those different sports and yeah it's still to this day one of the most iconic commercials uh, that there is out there bo don't know diddly <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the final part of that one. My four Austin had earlier. Here's where I've got Be Like Mike. And you're right. That's a catchy theme song. You can, you may be humming that when you go to sleep at night if you go listen to that again before you go to bed tonight. Mm-hmm. I had one of yours, Greg. No, I have one of yours right here. So this is where I've got the Arnold Palmer one. There are four words in the whole commercial. Scott Van Pelt says, that's awesome. Stuart Scott says, I know. If you're going to show someone any sports center <laughs> commercial, it's got to be that one or the Peyton or Eli one for me. Yeah. It just, to me, sums up what sports center was when I was growing up. That's how it was supposed to be. Fun, yep. light. Show me the plays. Show me the highlights. It's, it's nostalgia for me. Yeah, thousand percent. Um, all right, my three, and this one's a lot more serious of a tone. And again, I'm all about, you know, I did not like this player growing up, but I had mad respect for him, and especially when he retired but the Derek Jeter tip of the cap commercial uh, that was a minute long, and it starts yeah. with Jeter in the box, tips his cap, goes to the pitcher, goes to the dugout. Everyone in the stand starts to do it, uh, and then you get the celebrities that start to do it and extends all the way out to the Boston fans in the bar, uh, you know, cheering for their Red Sox, tipping their cap of Derek Jeter. And uh, just one of those commercials that just kind of grabs you and puts in perspective, uh, you know, a great career and iconic player. So, again, another well-done commercial, even though I I never liked Jeter as a player. I'm going to go from the seriousness of you to the wackiness of the Uncle Drew campaign for Pepsi Max. Uh, Him showing up at that playground. The first one, because the first one's so, you you didn't know what it was. so good. So you see him going out there, and then all of a sudden turning it on, those guys, that was I was rolling the first time I saw the, that first Uncle Drew campaign for Pepsi Max. I can't believe I didn't think to put that one on my list because that would have made the top five. For, it inspired our team name, uh, <laughs> our right. YMCA, Uncle yeah. Drew's crew. We, get, we got a plaque back there, Austin, for our championship that, uh, you know, we made some questionable uh, question like legality of <laughs> roster moves at the end, but um, just yeah, win, Uncle baby. Drew's crew was a champion. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's so good. Such a good campaign. <laughs> that was a tough cut for me. Number two, I, I probably homered this one a little because it's two of my favorite athletes of all time, Mike Trout and Andrew Luck for Body Armor, their disco battle. Yeah. Two of my favorite athletes, two buttoned up, you know, close to the vest guys that you don't get a whole lot of personality from. To see them dancing like it's the 1970s i think it was great it didn't linger on it too long it didn't play it out got in got out two of my favorite athletes i love it nice Uh, my number two has been mentioned by both of you and it's again be like mike it inspired a movie title uh and ever since then it was hard to talk about michael jordan and not say that stupid little catchphrase um that you know that we're still uttering today so be like mike for me number two Okay, my number two, I think Ben had earlier, and this is the Mean Joe Green iconic, which they redid a couple years ago. He's walking off the field up the tunnel after a tough game, and there's a young kid going, are you okay, Mean Joe? And he's like, yeah. He goes, you want, you want my Coke? He gives him the Coke, and then he, Mean Joe tosses him the jersey. It gets you every time, so that's number huh. two for me. All right, here at number one, Greg had the idea of playing the commercials. I love that. So we've got our, yes. our number three, or our number one, all three of them all queued up. So I will start with mine, and it's Chicks Dig the Long Ball. How long are they going to worship this guy? Hey! 
We got Cy Young winners over here. Dig the long ball. Hey, have you guys seen Mark? <laughs> Just everything about that one. It's a little better visually, but you hear Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox whacking on each other with a baseball bat. Like Mike Babcock said, Tom Osborne looked like he got hit with a baseball bat. Those two guys did hit each other with a baseball bat. <laughs> you got National League pitchers trying to learn how to hit, trying to get the ladies. They finally think they got one. And then Tom Glavin's little kicker at the end. I think that's just a perfect commercial. Love it. Heather Locklear, made the, she was the blonde at the end who goes, uh, have you guys seen Mark? That was, that was her <laughs> at, at the end of that thing. Perfect. All right, my number one, this one took some hunting. I, I, I had a hard time finding it. Uh, I remember it clear as day. It's my, you know, the all-time voice of college football. And it doesn't matter if he's talking about a team you like or a team you don't like or a product you like or you don't like makes the entire commercial. And it's the Dr. Cade Gatorade Man, the, the original concept of Gatorade. The legend was born in 1965 in the storied swamp of Florida, where the scorching heat took a brutal toll on the Gators. The players weren't adequately hydrated and their performance suffered. The answer, a new carbohydrate electrolyte beverage created by University of Florida doctors. Naturally, we called our stuff Gatorade. From the Gators' Orange Bowl triumph in 67 to their national title in 07. And for millions of athletes in between, the legend continues. Not a Gator fan at all, but it's Keith Jackson. It's a good soundtrack, and he's talking about college football. I know Nate Rohr would sign off on my number one. Uh, Keith Jackson talking about Gatorade. Very good. All right, my number one has been mentioned. It's the McDonald's spot. Here you go. What's in the bag? Lunch. Big Mac, fries. Play for it. You and me for my Big Mac. First one to miss watches the winner eat. No dunking. <laughs> One piece. Which piece? Get in there. Off the floor, off the scoreboard, off the bank board, no rim. Over the second rafter, off the floor, nothing but that. Through the window, off the wall. Nothing but that. What you want is not today, and it's not today. Off the expressway, over the river, off the billboard, through the window, off the wall, nothing but net. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so good. Delighted to be joined now by Josh Klingler of 610 Sports in Kansas City, also part of the Jayhawk Network. Josh, thanks for spending some time with us. I hope everything's good in your world. You bet. Working uh, working from home is, uh, you know, not bad at times, right? Saves on the gas money. I mean, you know, it's not, true. Uh, 
I'm not filling my car up very much, that, that, even though gas True. is pretty cheap right now. <laughs> I got to tell you, Josh, I, I really enjoyed the draft, and kudos to the NFL. I thought they almost pulled that off completely flawlessly, and I'm sure at least in Kansas City gave you a lot to talk about with the Chiefs as active as they were. Yeah, because I think going going into the draft, um, you know, 20 to 22 starters were coming back from the Super Bowl team. You don't feel like they had to do a whole lot in the draft. And then, uh, you know, I, I don't remember, and maybe I just don't follow the 30-second pick of the draft enough, but I, I can't believe there's been so many rave reviews for what the Chiefs did in picking uh, a running back at number 32 out of LSU, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, it seems to be like a universally, like, wow, that was a steal at 32. Um, and then you add it to, to what they're doing offensively. They, they feel the need certainly at, at a linebacker position in the, in the draft as well. Uh, they really kind of nailed all the positions that they needed to have at, at least kind of rotational guys, but also guys that can really jump in and contribute. And then they really love what they did in the, uh, the undrafted portion of free agency. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody was still kind of flying high off the Super Bowl and not, you know, knowing they were going to need to get better, but, not expecting maybe a whole lot from the draft. And uh, it seems like that they, you know, really uh, knocked down a few names that can, can really pay dividends and maybe even as soon as uh, this upcoming season. Josh, they, their money's tight for them, right? They're up against the cap. How are they going to be able to massage that? Is it going to cost them somebody because of how tight they are with the money? Yeah, maybe it already has. Um, you know, uh, I don't – Dustin Colquitt, their longtime punter, was was let go, and, and maybe a money issue, but also a, a getting younger issue. Um, you know, they've they've redone some things with you know Sammy Watkins, the wide receiver, and it all depends on when uh, you know Patrick Mahomes is going to get paid. And they picked up his fifth year option, but the the good part of it is it's not like you, you see maybe in other places where you know guys are threatening holdouts or. Um, you know, they're knocking on the door of the general manager every day, demanding a contract and wanting money. It's really been a, like a slow, methodical approach, and it seems like that there's no like huge rush from Mahomes' camp to get a deal done. And you know, the longer they can put that off, the better. He's going to deserve every penny he gets when he gets it. But um, you know, they they do have essentially this year and next year if they want to to get through before they get an extension. There is going to be one that, that happens. Um, you know, I, I don't like telling people how to, uh, you know, uh, balance their finances by any means because I think he should get whatever he can command. But it seems like he's of the type where he may be really willing to work with the team to be doing some other things and, you know, maybe make that money up, um, you know, in endorsements where, you know, he can he can put his face on just about anything right now. So um, it's an interesting dynamic. Certainly um, it's one they're going to have to work through. And um, but I think he's got a really smart camp around him, the quarterback. And I think they're going to, you know, they're going to figure out a way to make it work. Plus, at, at times, I believe the salary cap can become a myth. It seems like you could just kind of move dollars around and make it work somehow, some way. We haven't seen a team fold yet, right, because they paid their quarterback. So they always seem to fill out a roster somehow. That's a great point on Mahomes. He's so marketable. He had a number of national campaigns even this year. I can't imagine how in, de how in demand he has to be for companies wanting to saddle up next to that kid. I mean, he's a delightful young guy. At least he certainly seems to, to those of us on the outside. Yeah, yeah. Got a great head on his shoulders. Got a great family support system. 
Um, you know, Lee Steinberg is his agent, longtime agent, who's really, I think, made a done a nice job of kind of navigating, you know, where he should go and maybe not overexpose him at times uh, from that regard. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot at his fingertips, not to mention, yeah, it's not just Kansas City, right? I mean, he's, he could be the face of the NFL moving forward. So he's going to have an opportunity to make some big bucks that way should he choose to. Um, and, you know, that's not to say he shouldn't, you know, take what he can in, in salary, but he might have the opportunity. I just hate asking him to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Tom Brady for all those years, you know, they was kind of commended for, for taking less to, to, uh, to, to help the team. I don't think you, ha- you have to ask that of somebody, but they do it great, and he might be of the mode that decides to do it. Again, visiting with Josh Klingler of 610 Sports in Kansas City, also part of the Jayhawk Network. And one headline that caught my eye the last couple of days, Josh, was MU and KU announcing they're going to play football again. That has to be that has to make some people happy around the Kansas City area. Yeah, very weird timing of that one too. It was I mean, it's been kind of percolating for a while, and and we were hearing rumblings on both sides. And I know Missouri's athletic director kind of sent something out to the alumni of, of, you know, probably about a month ago that said it was close to happening as close to happening. And then uh, they kind of announced it like middle of the day on Saturday. So it was, it was kind of like weird timing last week, but kind of almost like snuck it in there. But yeah, I think it, I think it is pretty neat now. Uh, you know, they were resuming on the, on the basketball side already and then uh, picked up the football side. It won't happen for five years. So, you know, the, Five years is a long time in sports, right? So the likelihood of both coaches and uh, yeah. both administrations being around by the time they play that first time might be slim. I don't know. Uh, but uh, they're going to meet in 25 and uh, 26 and then not again until 31 and 32. So, um, And then the last go-round, they were, they were playing you know, a game or, or a you know, series of games at Arrowhead Stadium. And this time it's just going to be on the campuses, which I think – in in this uh, kind of this frame for both programs, I think is going to be the, the smart play. And you know, maybe there's not a ton of buzz right now because it is you know five years out. But by the time those roll around, um, I know they're going to be big. Uh, they're already going to be big on the basketball side. The two schools played, uh, kind of ended their their well, I wouldn't say ended, but uh, brokered their feud for a little while for a charity basketball game a couple of years ago that was a massive hit. So that kind of I thought paved the way for them finally. Uh, deciding to play against uh, each other. And then, you know, football schedules at times can be dicey as to when you can find that that time for each schedule to work. So five years out, five and six years out, and then a little bit uh, later down the road. So a four-game series right now between the two. So, yeah, I think uh, I think for everybody involved, enough time has passed, and, and it's good to get those two uh, kind of playing again. Les Miles was such a splash hire for Kansas. Don't know much about the Missouri coach. What kind of impression has he made in a couple of months' time? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the disadvantage for him is the the time we're living in, right? He didn't didn't have any spring ball, and uh, not having any contact with players. So, yeah, Eli Drinkwitz is kind of, you know, he's going to have to kind of catch up. But um, we had a chance to talk to him. I want to say probably a month or so ago, and I thought he was really positive in in terms of, hey, you know, this the stuff's happening. We can't control it. It's about how you know how we get. Our, our kids ready and the message out and those types of things. And seems like a really organized guy, real upbeat, um, you know, kind of go with the, the younger coach um, train of things, you know, a guy that's on the rise that can, can uh, help lead your program. So um, certainly he's saying a lot of the right things. I think for him, the unfortunate part is, you know, he's not, he's not been able to get anybody on the field and, and won't for the foreseeable future. So I don't know how well that bodes in, in year one of a, uh, of a football program with, uh, you know, trying to, trying to, build back and not have any time together.
Yeah, that's going to be tough, I think, for a lot of first-year staffs around the country. Josh, we certainly appreciate it. Good to hear your voice. Stay healthy, and let's hope we get some things back. Uh, let's get the Royals on the field. Let's get some things happening yeah. again. I feel like we're getting close, don't you? I mean, I think I've, I've, I've been more and more optimistic as the days have gone on, especially on the baseball side. I think I think we're hearing some good things about, you know, hopefully a return sooner rather than later. I know talking to a bunch of the, the Royals players, and uh, we're scheduled to to, uh, to chat um uh, for, a, for a taped interview we're doing for later with, with Alex Gordon. I know caught help with him real early on, and he was talking about you know, being in the batting cage in the backyard. And everybody has been everybody's been chomping at the bit to get back at it uh, on, on the baseball field. And you know, if, uh, if the reports are true, we're kind of getting closer and closer, and maybe to getting to you know sometime in, in June, hopefully getting back at it, and maybe July for real. So um, yeah, I think we we all could use it, but I'm 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 under the I'm, I'm okay with making sure everything's safe before we go about doing it. Very good. Josh, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Good to talk to you, Greg. Some tough news from the National Football League. Our pal Ian Rappaport tweeted today, Ben wants a promising jet wide receiver. Quincy Anunwa is going to be out for the year with a neck injury. They put him on IR, so his season is over. He's had, he's had a hard time staying on the field the last couple of years. Yeah, he has. At one point, he was the only viable option that New York had in terms of pass catching. Uh, but, yeah, that neck injury is really slowing him down, which is not good. And he signed a really good contract a couple years ago, and at least he's got that to fall back on. I'm, I'm really proud of Quincy, the career that he's put together. Just wish he could stay healthy. Well, SNBL, another big day today. Three more games on tap tomorrow starting at 11 a.m. Austin, what's our lineup? What are we looking at tomorrow? Got three good ones tomorrow. We've got game one featuring the Las Vegas Outlaws managed by Ben McLaughlin against the Tim Curran led Hong Kong oh, Cthulhu's. baby, throw down. In Hong Kong at the Polo Ground, so Ben makes the trip. Game two, we've got an AL West matchup between the Roar Lions and the Albuquerque People Eaters. Ooh. That one will be in Albuquerque. Those two teams are third and fourth in the division, so the Lions looking to make up some ground. And game three, the big one of the day, the first place Heckman Harriers versus the first place Minneapolis Mammoths. Small franchise against the, one of the big boys. This will be a battle. Here we go. Can't wait. Cannot wait for that one. Um, someone's going to get humbled tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> the, the Harriers are playing that that perfectly, that, that little underdog, chip-on-your-shoulder mentality. Outlaw's got to find a way to put the bat on the flipping ball. I mean, yeah. You've been swinging for the fences a lot. The amount of strikeouts is it's borderline. I mean, I, I feel like the four of us – could could put a line you know could be in the lineup and perform better than those guys come jump in our twitch feed tomorrow between 11 and 1 have some fun might have a special guest tomorrow Ooh, that's it tune in for that ben's hosting all that tomorrow at 11 a.m on our on the twitch feed hey our sports only hotline brought to you by the woodhouse auto family bringing you more choices in brands locations and service experience the difference purchase with confidence This is Woodhouse. Fun Top 10 lesson. Great to hear from Josh Klingler earlier in the hour.